Take your Bibles this morning, please, and turn to John's Gospel, chapter 3. John's Gospel, chapter 3. Mark that and turn to 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. John, chapter 3. Mark that and turn to 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. I always begin with giving you text. Because I want us to make sure that we understand that it is God's truth that needs to be lived out in our lives. And so we go to God's Word for God's truth. We are talking about how to identify a healthy church. And we have discovered that it begins with biblical preaching, God's truth. And if it were not for God's Spirit applying God's truth to our lives, we wouldn't know what to do. And yet God has given to us His Word as a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And He's given us His His Spirit to help us understand how to apply His Word. It starts with biblical preaching. Now we've talked about how biblical preaching leads to biblical worship. And biblical worship leads to biblical discipleship because we are required to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And Jesus in the Great Commission tells us that we are to disciple all nations, teaching them whatsoever he commanded us. And the good news is the bookends of those verses, all authority is given unto him in heaven and earth, and lo, he is with us always, even unto the end of the age. But if we're going to understand biblical discipleship, we need to understand what biblical salvation is all about. Now, many times when we talk about salvation, we start with the truth that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and that is a truth. We talk about being none righteous, no, not one, and that puts us all in the same category. Before God, we have absolutely nothing to offer to God before we've been saved. But the reality is, God is the gospel. And we must begin and end biblical understanding of the gospel with God. May I take you back very quickly into Genesis chapter 3. That's the Garden of Eden. And in Genesis chapter 3, we discover that the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, and he has a conversation with Eve, and I don't have a clue how that happened, but it did. And the serpent is arguing with Eve, saying, didn't God give every tree of you to eat? Look at them, they're all good. And he says, well, there was one that he kind of left out of our recipe book. Because Eve said, if you touch it, you're going to die. Well, that wasn't what God said. God said, if you eat it, you're going to die. But the serpent being very subtle, he says, yeah, you won't surely die. And you know the narrative, Right? Eve looked at it, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, said it was good. She ate, she gave it to her husband. 
And then they discovered that they were naked. They didn't know that before. Because they were living in a pure relationship before a holy God who had created them in righteousness and true holiness. But now, before a holy God, they stood exposed. And you remember what they did? They hid. <laughs> How effective, how'd that work out? How effective was that in their lives? Now, here's what I want you to see. I want you to see in your mind's eye that it was God who came looking for Adam and Eve. Huh? Now, he knew where they were all along. But God initiated contact with Adam and Eve, right? And if you read the narrative, God made a promise to Adam and Eve that the seed of the woman, and we look forward to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would conquer what had just happened in their lives. And then you know what God did? He clothed them. It was all about God. And so when we look at biblical salvation, we must understand that the gospel begins and ends with God. God is the gospel. Someone gave me a book recently, which I have enjoyed that has that title, God is the Gospel, by John Piper. And Piper's whole premise is, we must be very, very careful that we do not leave God out of the Gospel and make it all about us. I want to take the time this morning to read part of his introduction. He writes, today, as in every generation, it is stunning to watch the, the shift away from God as the all-satisfying gift of God's love. It is stunning how seldom God himself is proclaimed as the greatest gift of the gospel. But the Bible teaches that the best and final gift of God's love is the enjoyment of God's beauty. The best and final gift of the gospel is that we gain Christ. This is the all-encompassing gift of God's love through the gospel to see and savor the glory of Christ forever. Can I ask you a question? Would you be willing to go to a heaven for all eternity that did not include God? Now think about that. No tears, no suffering. Streets of gold, pearly gates. Wonderful place. But would you be willing to go to that wonderful place if it didn't include God? You see, the reality is, the focus of heaven is going to be God. And we're going to worship Him. And we're going to understand His presence in a way that we have not understood before. God is the gospel. Piper continues. In place of this, we have turned the love of God and the gospel of Christ into a divine endorsement of our delight in many lesser things, especially the delight 
in our being made much of. The acid test of biblical God-centeredness and faithfulness to the gospel is this. Do you feel more loved because God makes much of you or because at the cost of his son, he enables you to enjoy making much of him forever? Does your happiness hang on seeing the cross of Christ as a witness to your worth or as a way to enjoy God's worth forever? Is God's glory in Christ the foundation for our gladness. You see, the gospel is all about God. Now, are you in 1 Corinthians chapter 15? Here Paul gives to us an understanding of the gospel. And I want to read the first 11 verses for you. So you follow along in your text, please, because it's important that we identify and define what the gospel is. 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now here it is. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ. Now stop right there, will you please? Paul, in defining the gospel, begins where? With Christ, with God. All right? I want you to get that. Paul, in defining the gospel, begins with God. And then he goes on to say what God did. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised in the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least, Paul says, of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But, but the grace Aren't you thankful for God's grace? But the grace of God, by that grace, I am what I am, and the grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder. I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I, or they, so we preached, and so you have believed. And may I add, the gospel. God is the gospel. Now I want to take you back to a very familiar passage of Scripture, John chapter 3. So turn there, will you please? John chapter 3. John chapter 3 begins with Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews, who comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to get eternal life? Jesus says unto him, you must be born again. He says, how can I do that? Jesus says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. 
And verse 14 of John chapter 3 says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, talking about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And then verse 16. Don't you love it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17, for God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, and whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. God is the gospel. Now this morning, I just want to very quickly give you four reasons that God is the gospel. And if we are going to have a biblical understanding of the gospel, we must recognize it begins and ends with God. Reason number one, God is the gospel because it shows the glory of God. Only the gospel gives us a clear picture of the glory and majesty of God. The psalmist put it this way in Psalm 27. One thing have I desired from the Lord, and that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. The glory of God is preeminent. The psalmist writes, the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens are not there just for your and my enjoyment. The heavens are not there simply so that we might recognize seasons in our lives. The heavens are there so that they can... Declare God's glory. You ever seen a rainbow? The glory. You ever seen a double rainbow? Anybody ever seen a triple rainbow? Okay, if you, I never have. I'd like to. But a biblical understanding of the gospel recognizes that it's not about you and me. It's all about God and His glory. To God be the glory, right? Great things he has done. Now those of us who know Christ as personal Savior recognize whether we eat or drink or what we do, we do everything to the glory of God, right? We're, we're not here for ourselves. We are here for the glory of God. History has given to us a number of catechisms. Catechisms are documents that help us understand theology. The word catechism means to teach orally. And most catechisms are made up of questions and then answers that are memorized so that someone might recognize their, their faith. One of my favorite catechisms is the Westminster Catechism. It's a great catechism. And the number one question of the Westminster Catechism is this. What is the chief end of man? You're ahead of me, Teresa. Just wait a minute, will you please? 
you're right. What is the chief end of man? The answer is, man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully enjoy Him forever. So I come back to my question. If heaven didn't include God, would you want to go there? God has made us so that we might recognize who he is and what he has done in our lives and enjoy him forever. Woo! Connie and I got married over 46 years ago. Well, that was a great day. May 20th, 1973. Full credit for having it off the top of my head. It was a Sunday afternoon. And we got married in Connie's little church, Porter Free Will Baptist Church in southern Ohio. It's Ohio down there. It's not Ohio. Afternoon wedding. I had my groomsmen, and we were staying at a friend's home. Actually, to take up some time, we were shooting pool in our underwear because we didn't want to get, don't go there, all right? We didn't want to mess up our tuxes. The church was about 15 minutes from where we were staying, and so 15 minutes before it started, we got in the car and went. I arrived in enough time to have a boutonniere pinned on, one picture taken, and walk in. Timing is everything. Connie's brother was an usher. Oh, dear Roger, bless him. He kept coming down and saying to Connie, Tom's not here yet. He's changed his mind. That was a great day. That was a fun day. We were, we were young kids and so nervous we didn't know what to do. And we promised for the rest of our lives to enjoy each other, right? Well, it's been pretty successful. But it hadn't been perfect. I am so thankful that I can look forward to going into heaven and have a perfect environment where I can enjoy God forever. Because it's all about the glory of God. For God, right? If you're used to marking your Bibles up, circle that word God. Because although it's a familiar passage of Scripture, and most of us, if not all of us, could quote it, we need to recognize that the gospel begins and ends with God. Second Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says that the God of this age, <laughs> Satan himself, has blinded the eyes of those who don't believe. But those who have believed have understood the glory of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Amen? The gospel is all about God. 
You know the truth. Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, right? Christ didn't think it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took on himself the form of a servant, made him likeness sins. And then here it is. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, glory to God, every knee shall bow of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God. And understanding the gospel is all about the glory of God. You still in John 3? For God so what? Loved. God is the gospel because it shows his love. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus said, you're my friends if you do what I command you. Romans 5.8 is a verse that you can probably quote that says, God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. But can you quote 5.7? 5.7 says, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps... For a good man, some would even dare to die. But God, God demonstrated his love. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. God is the gospel because it shows God's love. Now, what is love? Somebody said, love is a feeling that you feel when you feel a feeling that you've never felt before. That'll turn you around three times and get you dizzy, won't it? True love is sacrifice expecting nothing in return. True love is sacrifice expecting nothing in return. Let me tell you something. When I received God's gift of love and was born again into the family of God, he got nothing. And I got everything because I got God. The hymn writer has written, The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Oh, love of God, how rich, how pure, how measureless and strong it shall forever more endure. The saints and angels. For God so loved, greater love. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Wow! Christ died 
for our sins to show God's love. Let that sink in a minute, will you please? We all could say Christ died for my sin to show me His love. I've been blessed. There have been a lot of people in my life who have showed me a lot of love. But no one ever died for me. God did. Christ, part of the triune God, without blemish and without spot, went to the cross and shed His precious blood in payment for our sins. Now, our response is that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Because it's not about you, it's not about me, it's about God and showing His his love. Amen? The dead are made alive because of God's love. The condemned are changed in their character because of God's love. The lost are found because of God's love. Noodle that for a while, will you please? Because it's a biblical understanding of the gospel. God is the gospel because only God could love like that. And he did. Not only does it give us God's glory and show us his love, it also is through his grace. Question. What makes Christianity different from all other religions? May I submit to you, it's God's grace. God giving to you and to me what we do not deserve. God accepts us with no conditions when we put our trust in His atoning sacrifice, the sacrifice of His incarnate Son. Grace. Now, frankly, Grace is a foreign concept to a lot of us Americans. We're told when when we're young, my boy, if you work hard and apply yourself, you can grow up to be anything you want to be, even President of the United States. I was going to make a presidential joke here, but I decided not to. Work hard. Stay after it. You know, 
Work is not part of grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. A couple of months ago, in our deacon trustee meeting, Brad Anderson, who led us in prayer this morning, made this statement. I've come to understand that I deserve absolutely nothing. God doesn't owe me a thing. He doesn't owe me health. He certainly doesn't owe me wealth. He doesn't owe me happiness. He doesn't owe me blessing. I don't deserve a thing. And yet God showers his blessing upon us. But we need to recognize that's all his grace. Him giving to you, giving to me what we do not deserve. Do you remember what we read in 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul says, I worked real hard at this and then I discovered God's grace. God is the gospel because God gives to us grace. Perhaps you have heard the story of John Newton. John Newton was orphaned when he was seven. His mother had been praying for him, and she gave to him before she died a book entitled The Imitation of Christ. When John Newton became of age, he signed up for the British Navy and went to sea. He was a rebellious lad. And got into some trouble and would have been punished, but he ran away and went AWOL. And in order to get away from his punishment, he took a position on the lowest of ships, slave ships. When he was 23, he became a slave ship captain. And with whip in one hand and pistol in another, he ruled his ships. One day there was a particularly fierce storm. And all who were on board felt that their lives were in peril. And John Newton thought he was going to die. He went to his cabin, and at the bottom of his footlocker, he he dug up this book that his mother had given him so many years before. And message spoke to his, his heart. He left the Shea slave ship business. And after 16 years of self education, he was ordained to the ministry. He thought back on those years and penned these words. Sing them with me, will you please? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. 
was blind, but now I see. God's grace. God is the gospel because it tells us about his grace. And not only do we know his grace in salvation, but we know his grace in satisfaction because his grace is always sufficient. Amen? We live out his grace. That's why we can say, and Don can say this morning, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. Amen, Don? It's hard to say sometimes, but you can say it. Because that's God's grace. God is the gospel. And God is the gospel because he provides forgiveness of sins. God so loved the world that he gave. Gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth would have forgiveness of sins. Should not perish but have everlasting life. Aren't you thankful that your sins are forgiven? Wow. Justification is a theological concept where God declares the sinner righteous. Somebody has said it can be defined as just as if I'd never sinned. God makes me whole. Imputation is another theological concept where it means to reckon over one's account. Paul wrote a a book to Philemon about a runaway slave named Onesimus. And Paul said, when Onesimus comes home and I'm sending him back to you, if he's done anything that deserves payment, put it on my account. I am so thankful that everything in my life that deserves payment was put on the account of Jesus Christ. I'm forgiven. The Old Testament prophet said, and the Lord has laid on him, Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. We have redemption, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. John writes in 1 John chapter 2, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. Wow. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Blessed are those whose iniquities, lawless deeds, violations of the law are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Aren't you thankful? The psalmist says he's taken our sins and put them as far as the east is from the rest, west. Aren't you thankful that Micah tells us that they're buried in the depths of the sea? And aren't you thankful that Isaiah tells us that he remembers our iniquities, our sins no more? I keep saying God gave me a good forgetter. And the older I get, the better it works. And I mentioned in our CBC 101 class this morning, that's the only thing that's working better as I get older. But you know the things I can remember? Somebody does something to me. 
I am so thankful that God doesn't remember all of the things that I have done before him because he allows me to come into his presence and see it as he sees it, confess it. And he is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse. And he doesn't even remember it. When I know I've wronged somebody, I try to go to them, ask their forgiveness. And occasionally say, I don't even remember that. When I go into the presence of God, I'm so thankful he receives me as his child. and says, I don't even remember that. That's our God. Yep. God is the gospel. And without God, there'd be no gospel. And so a biblical understanding of the gospel must begin and end with God. Because it's all about bringing glory to the wonder of our God. Amen? It's about His love demonstrated in our lives. It's about His grace being sufficient for our lives. And it's about the wonder of being forgiven. If you're here this morning and don't know Jesus Christ as personal Savior, let's talk. Let's have a conversation. Because I want you to know about the wonder of God. And I want you to understand how you can know that God in a personal way. For the rest of us this morning... I just want us to stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean, but he did. And my song shall ever be, how wonderful is my Savior's love.